He may seem like a mild-mannered engineer until you install an HVAC system improperly. Then the whole turning green Hulk shirt-ripping thing happens, and it's not pretty. Here's Bill Spohn. Hello, and welcome back to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. It's our goal here at Building HVAC Science to help build better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians by helping the two professions work better together with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. I was thrilled to get the opportunity to interview Sean McLaughlin after having been impressed with the simplicity and value of using an Emporia View energy monitor for a year or so before I met him. Sean shares with us his backstory that led him from commodities trader to company builder, designer and manufacturer of a suite of powerful yet inexpensive products used for home energy management, that is smart home energy management. You're going to learn some new acronyms that you'll be hearing more of in the future, such as disaggregation, FERC, and DERM. And we'll hear more of Sean's vision for building the world's largest VPP, that's a virtual power plant. We'll also hear about his progress along that goal. Sean is a man of quiet confidence, coupled with courage and enthusiasm. I think you'll enjoy this episode and this conversation. There's a couple links in the show notes to his bio and LinkedIn, as well as to the Emporia Energy website, where they have a continually growing line of products, again, of simplicity and value if you're looking at home energy management. So let's hear what Sean shares with me with regard to creating the world's largest virtual power plant. Today, I'm pleased to have with me Sean McLaughlin from Emporia Home Energy. Is that right? That's right. Emporia, Emporia Corp. But we do use Emporia Energy as our web domain. Cool. So people might be familiar with the product, but not some of the history behind it. And where did you start out? How did you get into this industry of home energy management? Oh, great question, Bill. It goes back probably 25 years ago when I started my career as a commodities marketer and trader specializing in North American energy. So I've been buying, selling, trading natural gas, crude oil, and electricity for over two decades. And back as far as 2015, started becoming a real believer in the energy transition, the electrification of our automobiles, distributed renewable generation on our homes or building, being a much more efficient, cost-effective, and improved user experience over the centralized carbon hydrocarbon power plants. As I dove further into this transition, I got excited really about two different things. One is that there are some amazing building energy management tools on the market for large commercial and industrial buildings. I think Johnson Controls or Siemens or Schneider Square D. But there wasn't an energy management system that fit the bill for small commercial and residential customers. And when I mean fit the bill, I literally mean fit the bill. An average residential customer is going to be $150 to $200 a month. Now, obviously, some homes in some areas can be much higher than that. But when you average all across North America, it's typically far less than $200 a month in electric bills. And so could we bring an energy management device to the market? That was a good return on investment for every homeowner in North America, meaning that we felt like our price point needed to be around that $100 mark if we were able to save 10, 15, or even 20% off the average utility bill. So that payout becomes one to two years 
on that investment in the energy management system. And there was nothing, again, that had been on the market, that price point, that was simple or self-install, and that was simple or self-managed. You don't have to hire a professional energy management expert to come in and set things up and manage them for you. So that was one thing that we we're really excited about. The second thing we got excited about is bi-directional EV chargers. For us to meet the climate goals that we've set forth as a country and, and even a world, we're going to have to put an enormous amount of energy storage on the grid to balance those renewable energies against the demand. And when you look at stationary storage, it's just too expensive. A thousand dollars a kilowatt hour is about the average to install a stationary battery system coupled with the cost of the renewable generation. It's not price competitive against, say, a natural gas power plant. But when you think about bidirectional EV charging and being able to tap into that very large battery that came with the purchase of your car and is underwritten, cost of it, completely in the purchase of the car. And when you can access it for $20, $30 a kilowatt hour, it's a complete game changer economically when you're looking at producing, storing, and reusing your own energy. It becomes much less expensive than purchasing from the grid or purchasing from a centralized charger car and power plant. And so with those two things in mind, we thought, man, what a great opportunity for us to apply some of our commodity marketing trading expertise with some new technology to build a product that we can put into consumers' home that will allow us to be able to take over the management of their energy consumption and their storage, their car battery. So what our long-term plan is, is to build one of the nation's or world's largest virtual power plant where we can help consumers manage their energy consumption in a much more efficient and cost-effective way. And we believe that combined with our energy management system that's on the market today, with our bi-directional EV charger that would be coming to market late next year, early 2024, that we'll be able to reduce consumers' energy bills 30, 40, and even 50%, depending on where you are in the country and what your utility rate structure looks like, there'll be different opportunities. But there's some extreme cases in places like California where we should be able to save even over 50% off your average utility bill. So how do you start? You have a vision. But how do you start? You just got to have like a product roadmap, at least some initial, but then you want to design a product. That's not your background. It starts with that vision. And honestly, when I kicked off the research into the sustainable energy transition, and had a desire in my heart to transition away from a pure commodity trader. I decided there's three things that I was really was important to me. The first, whatever we did or built, I wanted it to have a direct impact on our customers, our employees, our partners, see, feel, and touch the change we were making in the world. Secondly, I wanted to play with new technology. I'm just so excited about how technology is going to impact pretty much every aspect of our lives over the next 10 or 20 years. And third, whatever I did, I wanted it to be immensely scalable because we're going to build something that really matters and really makes a difference. Why not do it at a large scale so we can have a large impact? So it started with that kind of high level investigation. And that's where we came up with the two theses we talked about early. 85% of the buildings in North America are 50,000 square feet or smaller, and there's no energy management system that fits them. What a huge scalable market opportunity bi-directional EV charging. You think about 18 million new vehicles sold each year in this country alone and 230 million vehicles on the road in total. 
and the idea that we're going to go through this mass transition to electric vehicles, again, an enormous scalable opportunity. So they kind of fit those bills. They fit the bill with new technology as well. They absolutely fit the bill of really transforming the way people think about and use energy, which has an amazing amount of impact, not only environmentally, but economically and powering the third world. So it kind of checked those three boxes. So how do you get started? The first thing was I didn't set out to build hardware. I was really hoping that we would find third-party hardware and hardware manufacturers that we could leverage in building our ecosystem. But after several months of investigating, we found that there was nothing on the market that would hit our targets of A, a price point, of real-time granular disaggregated data that would allow us to deliver the automated energy management tools that we wanted to build. So we said, well, geez, I guess we're just going to have to try to build our own. And so taking out with a leap of faith, hiring some really smart electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, some folks that knew something about manufacturing, and we kicked off a design in late 2018 that launched our minimum viable product, which is our energy management system, in the spring of 2019 with really a test. Hey, if we price this between 50 and 150, is there demand for this home energy management platform? And we were so excited. Within a couple of months, we had sold 2,000 of them. And that gave us the confidence to really double down and build our Gen 2 product that we're selling today, which is a much more scalable go-to-market product. And yeah, it was hiring people that are a lot smarter than I am, empowering them to make decisions and letting them have at it. Your base of operations is Littleton, Colorado. Is there anything about that area that lends towards this business? <laughs> it actually doesn't, other than this is where my heart is, my family is, and where we raised our kids, although they're no longer in Littleton, Colorado, but where my wife and I have settled down. And so uh, that's important. There's the core team that we started with was a group of software engineers that I had been working with since 2007 in my previous company, and they had also settled in this area. So I wasn't going alone. Ted Graham and Franz Ketwick had joined my commodity marketing and trading group, and we had built an electronic trading platform together over about a decade of time. So we had a pretty good foundation and relationship and faith and trust in each other's complementary skill set. And so they were here. Outside of that, look, it was a tough time back in 2018 and 19 to recruit engineering talent in Littleton, Colorado. We went through the pandemic. We went through the labor shortage. Remote working is something that we're struggling with. We're getting much better with, but we have adopted and have committed to make work. And so we have employees, one in Canada, California, Ohio, and it's expert engineers in firmware, electrical engineering, and software and UI UX. So we're definitely leveraging a remote workforce as well as kind of local workforce as well on top of that. Now, at one time, did you have home performance or HVAC business associated with you? I absolutely did. One of the very early business thesis around this home energy management system is that we could become a predictor or a nervous system or intelligence of the entire home. By collecting that real-time data, we collect data, both voltage and current, about 3,000 times a second. And we're looking at those sine waves and overlapping them to look at the power factor all the way down to the individual circuit level. And so with that, we could detect in shifts in energy usage when an appliance needed service before it went offline. And we're definitely excited about that. We went out and talked to a lot of different HVAC companies here in the Denver metro area. 
about how they would use and adopt such a technology. Nate, the house whisperer, has always been a big fan of ours. He's done a couple pieces on it. And we said, you know what, let's start our own HVAC company. So we'll be our own first customer. And that will help us really understand the needs, the trials, the tribulations of that industry so we could better serve that industry. So that was one of our early thesis, among other things, that we really explored. Now, what we found is that HVAC is a tough business. It's got a lot of moving parts. And going inside of the electrical panel after a project is complete to install our energy management system and explain that system to the homeowner was not something that we were able to get a lot of traction on, unfortunately. We still see a lot of HVAC guys that are using our technology just to kind of do before and after energy profiles for the customers as they upgrade into high efficiency systems. But the whole diagnostics and connected relationship is something that we've kind of veered away from as it's got a lot more traction around automated home energy management and efficiency and savings. And that seems to have been where we've got a lot of pull from. So define for me automated home energy management. Are there accessories that go along with this and what do they control? When people see our number one selling product is our energy monitoring system. And it goes inside of your electrical panel where we can collect whole home energy consumption through 200 amp CTs, and we get individual circuit level energy consumption around our 50 amp CTs. And when you first look at our product, we say, well, you're just another energy monitoring system like Sense or Curb, some of the other companies that had been out there for several years before. And we have to explain that a couple differences. One, we're half the price point. So we've worked really hard in cost down engineering so we can hit that magic price point we talked about earlier, the return on investment. But two, we see hardware as an ends to the mean, and that mean is building software so that we can help people automate their energy management consumption. So we have spent a lot of time in both our cloud software and our UI UX software that allows customers to pre-configure different energy management tools, and we will then automatically turn on and off your energy usage through smart home device integrations, such as smart thermostats, such as our EV charger. We're right now riding to a Siemens new smart load center. And so what it allows us to do is the customer says, look, I have a time of use, for example, I have a time of use pricing schedule for my utility. Why don't you adjust my thermostat two degrees, 15 minutes before my time of use shifts so I can either pre-cool or preheat my house on the cheaper energy price instead of the peak price. And the cheaper energy price a lot of times is, is a quarter or a third of what the peak price is. So it's us doing a hundred little things a month with the homeowner not even noticing that their thermostat's being adjusted or their EV chargers being paused or their refrigerator temperatures being adjusted a couple of degrees to manage that different time of use schedules and shift as much load we can away from those expensive time periods to those off. And we have a peak demand management tool. So you can set it so when your oven kicks on, your EV charger will pause. When your air conditioner kicks on, we can pause your oven. So the whole idea is you decide what you want in priority and what is not important that it's paused a little bit, and we can manage your peak usage within your home. And then the third tool we have is our excess generation optimizer. It's kind of the opposite of the peak demand. Instead of pausing load to manage your peak demand, when our system can detect you're producing more energy than you're using, instead of sending that excess energy back to the grid where you often get little or no credit for it, why not 
adjust your thermostat and pre-cool your house with that free solar. Why not turn on your EV charger and charge your car with that excess generation? And then when you go back to pulling from the grid, we can turn those things back off. And so you're only using, and we can do it with smart plugs, so humidifiers, dehumidifiers, fans, ice makers. We can just run those from excess solar, and you're not ever pulling from the grid to run those non-critical loads. So we call that our excess generation tool. And these are all automated tools that our users can pre-configure our user experience, and then our software does this in the back end. And the homeowner, I've had these running my tools for a couple of years, and you never even notice that it's doing anything. You don't notice 15 minutes of one or two degrees in your thermostat. You just don't. So some of it comes from devices or accessories that you have to make because they either aren't there, and some of it comes from talking to other devices. Now, you mentioned refrigerator. Is there a refrigerator that actually talks to Emporia? So soon, <laughs> soon. You just let tell there. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. But we are integrating in testing environments is why I kind of say those things because I've got some G appliances that have smart Wi-Fi connectivity into it. And we were writing to the G API. We're going to write to Bosch. And we're going to write to Samsung APIs. So through cloud-to-cloud integration to the appliance manufacturers, we can send commands to smart appliances. So if you purchase a smart refrigerator, a smart oven, a smart dishwasher, we can adjust, turn on, off, or adjust energy consumption in those things through our user interface. Very good. So bidirectional EV charging, moving to that topic, you need the right kind of vehicle to be able to do that too. There has to be basically an inverter in the car. Is that right? Not actually. It's not the case. So we are absolutely building for a future that's yet to come. It was less certain back in 2018. It is today in almost 2023. And so we're feeling really confident in the direction and future of bidirectional EV charging capability. Most of the major manufacturers have announced that their future cars will support bidirectional energy flow. They've been a little bit light, if you will, on the public announcement on exactly how that is going to work. <laughs> Ford and the Ford Lightning is the first mass-produced vehicle that does support bidirectional EV charging. And they do have, each car has an onboarded inverter that will change AC power that they receive into DC power so they can store. But it's not bidirectional, so they can't convert that back to AC and hand it back to you. So they hand you back DC power out of the battery. And then the charger itself needs to be able to convert that DC power back to AC. So it has an embedded bidirectional AC to DC inverter in it so that it can be sent back into the home or the grid. So the charger actually has the bidirectional AC to DC inverter. Got it. You have a couple of products or one product on the market. Is that correct? We have a few. So we launched in, like I said, early 2019, which was the beginning of our home energy management system, our energy monitor. For us to build an energy management system, we need to get really granular data on how homes use energy and what at any given time is active in the building. So that is the backbone of our home energy management system, is our monitor and panel system. It's been on the market since 19. In 2020, we launched not only our Gen 2 energy monitor, but also our smart plugs with energy monitoring. So now we can detect whole home and building individual circuits. And with the smart plugs, they have energy monitoring them so we can see individual appliance energy consumption. And we can turn those appliances on and off because they are smart plugs. They have a Wi-Fi module in there and we can turn uh, power on or off and through our software. We launched our electric vehicle charger earlier this year. So it's a level two, 48 amp 
smart electric vehicle charger. When you look at Amazon and Google or we electric vehicle charger, Amazon or Google, you'll see that we're top of the line specs that's on the market. We retail our product for $499. The top sellers are $650 to $700. So again, we've really focused on trying to deliver an exceptional user experience, keeping in mind a lot of that has to do with not only quality and safety, but also price. So we've delivered our $499 with top of the line specs, and it integrates seamless with our home energy management system. So again, we can activate it when we detect you have excess solar. We can pause your EV charger when your oven or your air conditioner goes on. So it's a smart charger that works with our energy management system. So I think you know I have a Gen 2 Emporia View in my box, and I have a few smart plugs around. So I'm familiar with that. And by the way, anyone listening, awesome products, help me troubleshoot things. I look at them too often just because it's fun. <laughs> and actually, if I want to know something's running, like if my heat pump, it's an inverter-driven system, so it's really quiet, I'm not sure that it's running, I'll look at the energy profile and see if it's moved off of like the quiescent state of 11 watts and see if it's moved up into a kilowatt or so of consumption. The EV charger, the existing one, is that one that mounts or plugs in? It is a wall-mounted system. It does come with a NEMA 1650 cable, so you can plug it right into an, a NEMA outlet. It's based on natural electric code. You can only charge it 40 amps if you're using a NEMA cable. So we also allow customers to hardwire. So you can open up the back of a system, pull out the NEMA cable, and just hardwire it straight into your breaker. And if you do that, you can charge up to 48 amps. And it is a wall-mounted device. And I've found, because I'm, I'd mentioned to you, I have a reservation in a Fisker Ocean. So that's got bi-directional charging capability and the different groups that I'm in are interested in. What does that exactly mean? And I'm constantly sending them links to your blog post that describes what a bi-directional charger is. Very well done. Keep giving referrals to that. No, thank you. Were there any challenges there in creating the bi-directional one or was that just a logical extension? There's not only challenges, but they're ongoing. So again, the, the level two EV charger we have on the market is just AC to AC. We are putting AC to the car. The car's got an onboard inverter that turns it DC to store. Our bi-directional charger is taking AC power, converting it to DC power, and then sending DC power to the car, receiving DC power back to the car, convert it back to AC, and putting it into the home. And so this is a power electronics device. Where if you think about our current charger, it's almost like just a very large smart plug. <laughs> but this is a power electronics device. We've actually entered into a development and licensing agreement with Dr. Robert Erickson at a CU Boulder. He has a for-profit entity called Breck that has exclusive rights to all of his IPs and patents he had written during his 40-year tenure at CU Boulder as a professor. He's actually got the number one selling power electronics textbook on the market as well, Fundamentals of Power Electronics. And so he's one of the world-renowned experts in power electronics. He's got some really unique technology around planar magnetics and silicon carbides and being able to deliver a smaller, lighter, and most importantly, less expensive power electronics systems that we typically see on the market today. Now, a lot of the car manufacturers are doing silicon carbides and planar magnetics for their onboarded inverters. But you don't see them generally in solar inverters, battery inverters, and now EV chargers because it is a very new technology and really for the first time it's being brought to scale through the car manufacturers. We're applying that same technology um, through our partnership with Dr. Erickson and Breck into our bi-directional charger 
And so there's a lot of development effort, a lot of testing effort. There's been some smokes, a couple of small fires, but nothing out of the ordinary, I'm sure. But we fully have now vetted and tested the power electronics. Super excited that it has hit and exceeded all of our testing we set out, and we're on to building Proto 2. And now the challenges with Proto 2 is a lot of the communications and rules. So it's going to be power line communications talking to the car. But the car and the charger are going to have to have a communication protocol that matches up. We're using ISO 1511-8-20, and some of our car manufacturers are going to support that. Some are going to have a custom firmware. Some will have even a different third-party open-source firmware. And so just trying to figure out which ways the industry is going to go, what communication protocol to build around. Again, we're starting with the ISO, but we have flexibility to pivot when and if car manufacturers choose a different direction. And then there's the IEEE standards. Some of the things that are coming around California, we are now putting a power electronics system and connecting it to the grid. And so we need to offer voltage control services to the grid as part of that. And so they need to be able to send our bidirectional charger commands. So they need a direct connection. It's going to be Ethernet for us where they can actually send commands to adjust voltage to stabilize the grid. And so there's all those things and they're all evolving and decisions are being made as we speak. So our engineers are sitting on multiple committees engaged in the CCS communications conversations, the ISO, the IEEE, and even the UL certification process. And so all this is evolving. It's being built as we build. And we think it all comes together in 2024 and 2025. And at that point, it becomes kind of a seamless user experience for the consumer that will allow it to scale. When you started this back in 2015, 2016, how far away from what you imagined are you experiencing now? I'd like to say this. I, our end vision and end goal is still exactly the same. Yeah, We want to build one of the world's largest virtual power plants where we use technology to be able to manage the end consumer's energy consumption and reduce energy bills. And all that vision is the same. The market has absolutely gone in the direction that we believe and hope that it would. Now, the path to get there is very different. I've learned a lot about selling on Amazon, which I never thought that I'd do. I've learned a lot about running Google ads, learned a lot about power electronics. And we really are becoming much more of a power electronics company, well, as much of a power electronics company as anything else. And so we have a lot of talented PhDs in electrical engineering and power controls and mechanical engineers Oh, we're manufacturing in Asia. And so learning a lot about manufacturing, going through a supply chain, a lot, and shipping. Oh, geez, I could just go on and on, Bill. Things that we've learned and the rabbit holes we've gone down, it's been amazing and a lot of fun, but challenging at the same time. Yeah, you still have a smile on your face. Yeah. The next product is a bi-directional EV charger or EVSE. And then after that are batteries. Is that correct? Oh, actually, inverse. We just launched our battery system. So it is live on the market today. We're onboarding and training installation partners. So right now it's for sale in California, Colorado, Texas, and Florida. And we're doing training for an installer network in New York City and Puerto Rico in the next couple of weeks. And so we'll add those soon. So the idea is we'll roll it out kind of region by region as we can find and onboard and train installers for our home battery system. But it is Tesla Powerwall kind of version. It's 
8.6 or 9.6 inverters. We offer two inverter sizes. It can be either AC or DC coupled, so you can plug your solar panels directly into it, or we can pull the power from your electrical panel, which is giving us AC power, to charge the battery. There are eight kilowatt hour battery modules, and we can put six of those behind one inverter, so we can size your battery from eight kilowatts to 48 kilowatts hours worth of battery. So 7.6 or 9.6 of power, eight to 48 hours of kilowatt hours of storage. And so that is rolling out now. And so far, it's been super exciting. We've gotten a lot of early adopters who have seen it on our website, have found it through the early partners that we've put on, and we've been doing installs for the last couple of months. The next product will be our bi-directional EV charger, which we believe we'll have on the market in late 23 or early 24. So it's still a little over a year away. I'm looking on the shop.emporiaenergy.com for anyone listening. That's where you can find all these products that are available for sale. And I do see smart thermostats, and you have an integration with it looks like the Sensi, Emerson Sensi thermostats. Yeah, so we've integrated with Honeywell, with Energy Sensi, and with Ecobee. We do have a partnership with Emerson Sensi where we are reselling their product as primarily a combined SKU with their energy management system. When you combine either one of those three smart thermostats with our energy management system, we add features such as excess generation optimization and changing your thermostat based on if you're producing more energy than you're using peak demand management. So if you have a peak demand charge in your energy bill, which most commercial customers do and some residential, again, we could pause or change maybe your thermostat by a degree or two when your oven kicks on. And so we're managing that peak usage. And those are tools that without that real-time energy data that the thermoscans cannot offer on their own. And so Emerson's been a great partner. They've helped us market and advertise those added features in and around their thermostat, and we've become a reseller of their thermostat. What would be the requirements if someone listening wishes to become an installer in one of those states you mentioned or in future states? Absolutely. So on our website, there's a partner tab up at the top. You just click on that. It's a simple form to fill out. There's maybe six or seven items that we're asking about. And then once we've collected that data, we'll have someone from our partnership team reach out to you and just discuss your business model, discuss our products and get to know each other and just make sure that we're a good fit for one another. If all goes well, then we go through an onboarding and training program for all of our products and then set you up with our wholesale store where you can get a discount on our products and become a reseller. Awesome. Is there anything coming down the pike you can talk about? Anything that's... We're definitely super excited again about that bi-directional EV charger. It is going to be what we call internally at least an integrated system, meaning the AC to DC inverter and the electric vehicle charger are going to be integrated into one mechanical form factor. Again, this will allow us to have more sleek, lighter, simpler to install, and again, most importantly, less expensive. But we're going to, no, we're going to stop there. Right on the heels of that, we're going to launch into what we're calling our HEMS system and that home energy management system. And again, this is going to be a disaggregator or non-integrated AC to DC inverter with multiple DC ties into it. So you have one inverter in your home, becomes that central energy management system that you can plug a bi-directional EV charger into. Now that bi-directional EV charger no longer needs to have the AC to DC inverter because it's in our base HEM system. And so it's purely, again, like a big 
DC to DC smart plug. And then you can plug solar into it and it becomes your string in solar. You can plug a home battery modules into it and it can manage your home battery system. So it'll be one centralized AC to DC inverter with multiple DC ties that will allow you to plug solar, battery, and your EV charging into one AC to DC inverter. That should be cost-effective to manufacture as well as cost-effective for the purchaser. Yeah, it's going to be one of the things where you purchase it once. And then if you want to add solar, you don't have to buy another inverter. If you want to add a home battery system, you only have to buy the battery module, not the whole inverter system. So it'll be really kind of a module effect that people can mix and match and add what they want when the timing's right for them. And for each component you add, the marginal cost will be a fraction of what it would have to buy a whole new system. You'd mentioned earlier 200 amp CT is what goes inside the load center in the Gen 2, but you also mentioned buildings up to 50,000 square feet is your target market, under 50,000. They have larger load centers. How do you manage that? So that is our limitation. So under 200 amp CTs, and we can do single split phase, so you get two 200 amp CTs, or three phase. In those packages, you're going to get three 200 amp CTs. So we can actually manage up to 600 amps coming into a building. And if you have more of a custom solution for a larger building, that's where we kind of step aside and say, let's hand that to E-Gage, who's got a great product, but even Johnson Controls and Siemens. And we do, so 50 is a rough number. It obviously depends if it's a laundromat and you're 50,000 square feet, probably not going to fit. But if it's just running a typical HVAC system or heating system, your power load, you might have multiple panels yeah, and you can put multiple systems in and we can merge those together in our software so it can operate and see it as one. But if any one of your lines is more than 200 amps, then we're considering that a large commercial industrial and hand it off. And so that 50,000 square feet is depending on the makeup of the building and the usage of the building may or might not work, but smaller than that is typically going to be fine. What other activities are going on in the world of virtual power plant? This sounds like it. you want to take a large chunk of that, and it makes sense for the outlook and the three things that are important to your business. But what other things are going on in the VPP world? Yeah, it's a feature that's not quite here yet. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission has passed a couple of different orders that stipulate that what they call DERMs, disaggregated or distributed energy resource aggregators. That'd be us. We're aggregating up a large customer base. Each of those customers have energy resources that we can manage remotely. That if you aggregate those together, that you will have access to the wholesale market through the local distribution company. And those have been orders that have been put out by FERC. And now there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes on how is all this really going to play out, right? And how are we going to enact this? Now, They've put 2022, 2023, and now 2024 dates on these orders as things take a little bit longer time to work out. But we really believe by the middle to the the later part of this decade, all of this will be in place to where if we have a thousand customers in one metropolitan area, we'll be able to aggregate them together and then qualify as a virtual power plant in that market, allowing us to access the wholesale market directly. In the meantime, California this summer ran a pilot around this. And Tesla, for example, was one of the big participants in this, not through bi-directional EV charging, but through their home battery system, where they were able to sign up their customers to what they would consider their virtual power plant, and they were exporting power 
from their customers' individual power walls back into the grid to help stabilize the grid in California during its peak usage hours this last summer. And it was a really success. There's less brownouts this summer. There's less volatility in pricing this summer. And it was done at a very small scale. It was a milder summer too, right? So the weather wasn't quite as crazy as it was two or three years ago. But at the same time, during the time that they did call on those, it had some good results. So again, building for a future that's yet to come starts with small pilot programs because it's state-run public utility commissions that will roll out at different times throughout the country, kind of state by state. But the FERC is mandating that this does happen. I noticed that the larger population states and also those with solar, like Texas and Florida, and New York City, of course, population, and Puerto Rico. Why Puerto Rico? Resiliency. more, And it is... It's population, but there's two things that are really driving it is cost. Where is energy expensive? And it's the most expensive in those areas you just mentioned outside of Texas. Texas is fairly cheap, but California is expensive. New York is expensive. Europe is a few years ahead of us on this whole idea of virtual power plants and, and microgrids because energy is really expensive. But the second driver is grid resiliency. California, with the brownouts that they have because of the wildfires, you look at Texas, Florida, Louisiana, because of the hurricane, where you can have power outage for days, not weeks, after a big storm comes through. So there's grid resiliency issues, and Puerto Rico has got a little bit of both of those, especially on the resiliency because of the hurricane and weather and grid outages. But they're also importing all of their hydrocarbons, so their energy that they're developing through heating oil is expensive. So expensive resiliency, they kind of check both boxes where you have these renewable energy microgrids where you can produce and store your own energy and spin them up really at any size you'd like, become much more resilient long term. Does community solar enter into the discussion for you at all? Or is that ap- operating outside of your purview? I mean, it enters into the discussion as it's both and. It's community solar, even community battery is going to play an important role. It's not directly something that we're playing in. We really are going down to the individual home or building and looking at it as almost a microgrid. Now, we're not saying we're going to separate from the power grid, but we're going to manage that home, produce its own energy, store its own energy, use its own energy, and then use the grid not only to balance that home, but also use that home's excess resources to help balance the grid so it becomes a revenue stream back to the home. And that's more what we're focused in the community solars. On a personal opinion note, I think when community solar and even storage is located directly within the community, I think it is a great resource and a great tool. When it is located several miles outside of the main community that it's serving, where you have to transmit it a long way, it starts losing its appeal to me because you still have all those transmission costs and transmission losses that are going to occur. It's going to be hard to compete long term when distributed renewable continues to get cheaper. At some point, they say it could get cheaper than what the distribution costs are. Producing using your own energy is less than what it costs to distribute it. So even if it was free, it's not going to be competitive to have these grid-scale solar systems in the middle of nowhere. Wow. You bring a very interesting perspective to all this. You seem to have, I wouldn't say no fear, but you're driven. Yeah. What about you makes you so driven with this mission? Confidence. Confidence, courage, and enthusiasm is what I always told my kids. you got to have confidence, courage, and enthusiasm. But what drives me, I've been unbelievably fortunate and blessed in my life and my career, not only 
have I really enjoyed the challenges that put out in front of me. To me, it's golf is fine. Fishing's good. Skiing, I like to do. But this is fun. It's a challenge. It's a game. I'm constantly learning, constantly being challenged. So first and foremost, I just really enjoy doing it. Secondly, with all the blessings that come into my career, we've been able to position our family such that there's no more need, for sure. Not that there was a ton there anyway. And so what this becomes for me is about giving back, building something at scale that matters so that we can use our time, talent, and treasure to have the most positive impact we can on the world is a really exciting thing to think about and to be able to come to work to achieve each and every day, having the pressures of taking care of the home alleviated. So I just feel so lucky and fortunate in, in that regard. And as a family, my wife and I have committed that whatever we personally generate out of Emporia and its efforts is not going to go to our personal bank account or our family. We're going to reinvest it in better kingdom causes all over the world and when and if this thing is highly successful. So you get to work for different reasons. And that's really enjoyable and really fortunate. It's just, again, so blessed to be in that position. What a great way to close the conversation with humility and thankfulness. Yeah, gratitude. Absolutely. There you go. And I'm grateful to Bill and your show. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you. And anybody listening, you got to check out his products. You just listen to the man who has the vision, who's had the vision, who's built this thing with confidence, courage, and enthusiasm. It just spills out from what he does. And I'll put some links in the show notes for you to follow up, especially for my contractor listeners. If you want to look into becoming a partner, it might make some sense for you. Thanks, Bill. Very good. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. The other great trade-related resources out there, including HVACR School, HVAC Sop Talk, Stephen Reardon, HVAC Reefer Guy, Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery, Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime, HVACR Videos, HomeDiagnosis.tv, AC Service Tech, and of course, all the resources that you get from MeasureQuick and Jim Bergman. I also host the ResTalk podcast, where you can learn more about the world of home energy ratings and peripheral topics. If you like what you heard today and do not subscribe to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing Building HVAC Science into the search bar of any of the typical podcast apps. The Building HVAC Science podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. In full disclosure, I'm a co-owner of True Tech. The opinions voiced here are those of my guests and myself, depending upon who's speaking, of course. I want to thank you again for listening to Building HVAC Science and hope to continue to keep delivering to you great content like this, or at least content you think is great, or maybe I think is great. Thanks anyway. We welcome you back again to Building HVAC Science Podcast in the near future. Take care.